The following is a live podcast recorded at the Disruptor Series Live at TBWA Shiat Day, New York. What's happening? All right, well, thank you so much for being here. The Disruptor Series podcast live at Advertising Week. This should be a great session. And uh, we've got a fantastic guest. Uh, let me just read a little bit about Sam in case you don't know him. Uh, Sam Kniff Allende is a multi-award winning serial entrepreneur uh, and the author of a new disruptive book called Be More Pirate or How to Take on the World and Win. Sam, welcome to the Disruptive Series podcast live here at Advertising Week. Thank you very much for having me. Hello, everybody. Excellent. So tell us, uh, what's, what's the premise of this book here? This book here, uh, I have discovered in the process of writing this book that it seems many of us have an inner pirate a sense of rebellion, uh, a desire to stand up to the rules as they are in the world and challenge them and even change them. We're going to talk about the story of the book, but I've brought five along here. I'm just going to put them here in case there are any real pirates in the audience. It's not out in the States yet. All right, we got one. So there's an exclusive. There's, one, there's at least one pirate out there, which is good to know. So this is really what the book's out. It's looking for the Looking for the pirates, too. Lady pirates. pirates, very good, very good. Excellent. Oh, no, there you can't, you can't. There we go. Oh, you look, they've re-pirated. They can't do that. That's All good. right, pirate. outsourcing, very good. Okay, pirate we'll delegation. That. So those of you who kind of felt the desire, but something stopped you, that's what this book is about. I've spent 20 years trying to change the world, largely through the vehicle of creating a marketing agency designed to change the world by leveraging our clients' brands and budget. At the end of it all, 2016, I felt frustrated. Frustrated that decades of work and millions of pounds and some of the world's biggest brands had added up to what? 2016. <laughs> so as I was leaving my agency, it was time to hand over controls. Uh, I started on this enterprise of taking the inspiration that I'd learned and trying to turn it into action in the most powerful form I could. My inspiration came from all the young entrepreneurs that I've met, the ones that we don't ever see, the ones in the edges, the ones in the dark, the ones in the informal economy, the, the social enterprises, the ones really setting out to change the world. And I started to call them my modern day pirates, a metaphor I, like you guys, have always loved, a flag I've always flown. But something happened in the process of writing the book and I found on the edges the real rebels, the real rebels who I think really indicate what comes next. So it's a book about them. And midway through the process, it stopped being a metaphor. I started doing my research properly. Hey, by, by the way, i got more questions for you. Okay, go. Then the true history of pirates came out. And the true history is one that not many people, except this guy, seem to know. Well, one of the things that I, when I read the book, and it's a great book, and you'll all be able to read it uh, in, the, in the coming months, or you can purchase it uh, now if you can't wait. But to me, there was a core idea that for you, the pirates that you uh, have crystallized, they break rules to create something better. So it wasn't just sort of the negative view of piracy, but there was a, almost a virtuous view. Maybe talk a little bit about that. So the, the period we're talking about is known as the golden age of piracy, roughly 1690 to the mid 1720s. So it's like 30 odd years. And in that period, unlike any other kind of pirates, to distinguish them completely, they didn't just break rules, but they rewrote rules. And they didn't just reject society, they really rewrote the society. And they lived in a very unfair and difficult time. So extrapolating themselves from a brutal and corrupt system, they created a fair and just system. Mm. In, in trying to move away from being subjugated and exploited, they moved one into, into principles of justice and a level of fairness that the world had not seen up until that point. But that's the story that we hmm. don't get told as, as children or in the Hollywood movies. Yeah, so I mean, so how are the conditions of kind of, you know, Jack Sparrow's 18th century piracy, how are those conditions then like conditions today? 
like I said, it began as a metaphor, and, and, and over time, it got like clearer and clearer about the validity of these guys as role models. So from the general age of pirates to the, they were kind of the, almost the millennials of their day. They were rejecting an, an unfair system, a, a kind of a, a broken and self-interested establishment. They've been locked out of any potential opportunities in their own future. There was huge innovation and disruption coming through, which was leading to mass redundancy. There's this backdrop of international interconnected conflict. I mean, you can start drawing a very similar list in both circumstances. I didn't see that in Pirates of the Caribbean, but I'll look at it now when I, when I go back to the film. And I think there's a message now, there's this narrative, there's a very dangerous acceptance of the status quo that the way things are is the way things have to be. Mm. And I think that is one of our greatest perils. And in this group, you see a set of people who said no to that, stepped outside of the rules and rewrote some new ones, many of which we are still following today. Great. So, so why don't you bring some of these pirates to life? Why don't you give us your, your four favorites? I'm going to put them up here on screen. So these are the pirate stories that we don't often hear about. No, over here, we've got Black Sam Bellamy, who at age 28 was the youngest and richest. He was the first billionaire pirate, but as much as he was famous for his fortune, he was also infamous for his articulate arguments for fairness and liberty and equality. Uh, and over here, we've got Edward Teach, AKA Blackbeard, who was the archetype of the pirate brand, so dedicated to the pirate brand that was really the thing that drove their business model. He'd even set light to the fuses at the end of his beard to strike fear into his enemies. He got Black Caesar who was one of several black pirate captains because the pirates were releasing and freeing slaves right from the 1690s and then making them equal rights within their pirate organizations, the only place on earth at the time and for many years subsequently that people of color might have an equal opportunity of both say and pay. And taking that theme on over the end is my favorite of all the pirate stories, the pirate queen herself, Anne Bonny, who drove a kind of a galleon through the conventions of the time that women weren't just of equal capacity but also of equal intelligence. And she led her pirate crews with equal courage out on the Spanish main. And so, unlikely as it sounds, underneath the skull and crossbones, actually there was a sense of liberty and fairness that few of us know. So let's stick with uh, some of these old school pirates before we get to uh, the 21st century ones. I mean, there's a sense here, just by looking at this slide, that diversity was not an issue. The vast majority of uh, the pirate community were blokes, were men. Um, however, within that, there's an interesting diversity angle as well, because the pirates recognized that meaningful relationships took place between men. Um, any kind of homosexual activity in the Navy was punishable by death at that time, whereas in the pirate community, they created a system of same-sex marriage called Matialage, and it existed from 1690-odd onwards, uh, so sophisticated it even had an inheritance clause within it. Mm. So a level of diversity, acceptance, and acknowledgement that, that wasn't seen anywhere else. And yes, of course, they, they had this sense that they were taking on the world. There was this notion that we, the pirates took on the world and win. They declared a war against the world. And if you're going to fight the world, you need, you need to understand the world. Mm. So yes, regularly they're releasing uh, and attacking and releasing slaves um, and then making them part of their own community. Black Caesar had an all-black crew. Black, uh, Blackbeard's crew was believed to be 50% mixed ethnicity. And there was very few female pirates, mm. uh, but those that there were had equal say in all the matters on board. The democracy that took place on board a pirate ship was the most participative that had been seen in the world up until that point. We think it's Athenian democracy because they, the, they wrote the rule book on this, but actually in Athenian democracy, only the white men had a vote. And that was only a third of the population. Mm. On board a pirate ship, democracy was universal. First time universal suffrage had been seen deployed on ships. And when they took their ideas off ships and onto land, and they did, and for 10 years there was a proto-democracy taking place in, in the Bahamas, it was the most pioneering kind of experiment in early democracy the world had ever seen. 
All right, now stick with this ship for one minute. I think everybody in the audience can kind of put their sort of filmic mind and see what a pirate ship looks like. And how many people were on a, a ship? So the average size of a crew was about 80 people. So looking out, we might well be a pirate crew. Mm. I think we've got good representation in the audience. I can see a couple of likely beards. This is good. Um, so yeah, this could be a good pirate crew. And they could um, grow significantly, um, but they're real strength was in their ability to network. So you had a total community of around 2,000 at any given time, give or take. And so you've got multiple smaller crews, mm. all these kind of figureheads of pirate captains and all the egos and everything that came with those, these organizations. But their real power came that they had a network system. So they had universal practices and disciplines that could govern them all. And when needed to, they could march on an entire city like an army of thousands. And then almost overnight, they could fragment back into a cellular structure, allowing for their own independence. I mean, they were networked agile systems 300 years before the buzzwords existed, and they used that strategy to hold off the biggest organizations of the time, the Spanish Armada, the Royal British Navy, the East India Company. You know, if you're taking on the entire world and winning, you better you know, have the kind of network that can mm. back it up. And then talk a little bit about, uh, we discussed this earlier today, the leadership structure. So I think we traditionally go, oh, well, there's a captain and then everybody else, but you told me that there's a, a different kind of leadership. Yep. So again, a, a lesson for all of us, I think at the moment there is, I don't know, there's certainly space for some more inspiring visions of leadership um, at the moment, some might say. And on board a pirate ship, this was the response. They were leaving. They were leaving a very stratified system that either been the Merchant Navy or the, or the Royal Navy, where, again, leadership was pretty totalitarian and brutal. So on board a ship, to protect this new freedom they'd found, they elevated the role of quartermaster up to an equal position of power and strength as that of the captain. So the captain would hold strategy and vision, and the quartermaster would hold the culture and the voice of the crew. But they were of equal say. So that notion, that kind of Peter Drucker idea of, of, of what's more important, of culture and strategy. The pirates had this nailed, but what it really was was a system of dual governance, of checks and balances that held the power in place 15 years before the Parliament Act in Britain that then led to the act that sits behind most democracies 25 years before the First Companies Act, where dual governance was first enforced. So captain, vision, slash strategy, yep. quartermaster, implementation. Absolutely. So these guys, you know, jumping back to this as a metaphor versus uh, a lecture on pirate history, which it's pretty good for that. On their ship, maybe they should think about a dual structure, that there's vision, you know, not just maybe one CEO, but maybe there's a, a dual system. So sometimes, you, I mean, the classic model of it is the board and the chief exec, or, you know, you've got an MD, whatever the dynamic is there. But rarely does one of them hold the voice of the people mm. so unequivocally as the quartermaster did. Mm. So what is a way that you have the ear of the team. You know, there's that great Jeff Bezos line that the true value of a brand is what people say about it when they're not in the room. But I think that can be applied to leaders too. What mm. do people say about you when you're not in the room? And that informs your ability to I don't like to team. know. Your quartermaster would know <laughs> and then would be able she to does. hold you. There we she go. Tells me. So it, it works well, but you are the pirate agency, so it makes sense. But then there's also a dynamism to this because we also know that democracy sometimes can be a slow decision-making process. If trouble hoves onto the horizon and for some reason there's a situation or there's an attack, then that notion of democracy is done away with in a second. And actually, the you know, kind of holocratic measure, the pirate captain becomes total autonomous ruler. They get through the fight, the system's over, and then democracy returns. So there's an incredibly hmm. uh, dynamic system to this hmm. democracy as well. Hmm. 
All right, so underneath uh, on, on your slide here, we've got some of the, the pirates of the, of the 21st century. I think the uh, people may know or may not know that at one point uh, when Steve Jobs was uh, assuming leadership on Macintosh away from Apple, uh, he set up shop and uh, they hung a Jolly Roger. And we'll get to the Jolly Roger in a minute, but uh, he started to, you know, get into this idea of Macintosh as a pirate enterprise off of Apple. And uh, maybe we start with him. I mean, what traits do you see that, that Steve Jobs had? And again, a guy who said he'd rather be a pirate than join the Navy, starts Macintosh this way. What, maybe what features could you derive, again, for the audience that they could go, oh, maybe I need more of that or less of that or some of that? You look to the um, famous advert that is often cited as being from Steve Jobs himself, talking about the power of the mischief, talking about the power of the rebel and particularly of the rule breaker. And in that dynamic, changing and challenging the conventions of the hour is what allows the underdog or the little guy to have their great strength. Mm. And the pirates represent this across the board, the kind of paradox of scale and how important it is at the moment. The notion of big and big business becoming a, a liability to it rather than an asset. And actually where our greatest threats and innovation comes from is always going to be the, the smaller, more agile, more able to bend and break the rules. So Jobs, of course, embodied that. Whether or not Apple could qualify as a pirate organization now or whether it's become the Navy is, is kind of a different conversation. But there's a usefulness to the... In fact, there's more than a usefulness. There's an essential notion of piracy in all innovation. The, the furtherance of that is uh, the music industry calling Jobs in to help them combat music piracy to which he invents iTunes. Mm -hmm. The original scope of Netflix has you know, taken into account both Pirate Bay and um, LimeWire at the time. The notion of um, where we are with biochemistry development, you know, most of that work that's really pushed it forward has been taking place in kitchen laboratories, mm. not within Big Pharma. So that idea that on the edges, the challenges come and they push the rest of us forward actually is where piracy plays its real role. When we hit a bottleneck, when audiences' needs are unmet, Actually, piracy has a really useful role to play, and Jobs was harnessing that brilliantly. So you, you'd written down there, there were five traits. You know, challenge the establishment. Yep. Um, creative, innovative, disruptive, in your language. Uh, fiercely independent. Uh, this, I thought, was interesting. Led by principles. We don't always think about pirates as principles. And honest about profit. Yep. Uh, and then the last one was uh, highly talented but underappreciated. I mean, out of those five, do you see that in Jay-Z? Do you see that in Sheryl Sandberg? You know, are you... So these guys I'm, I'm using because they're kind of the, my equivalent of the pirate captains of the day. You know, it might seem a stretch of the imagination, but truly, this is how these guys were considered. Truly, they were the front page news. They were, they were hated and they were debated, then they were loved and they were feared. And this was the, you know, the kind of unicorns of their day across the sea, this, this whole new way of working and thinking and doing. And so they did, of course, appeal to the millennials of the 18th century. And whilst I'm trying to draw comparisons and not just make this a romantic metaphor, that was the framework I began to establish. And so when I would take from Sam Bellamy in 1718, standing for all these values, and then I look now to the latest, whether it's the Deloitte report on the millennial workforce, or I'm looking to kind of figureheads as far and wide from Malala to Chance the Rapper. Yes, those were the comparisons that I found. So what I would term as my modern pirates, the disruptors and challenges where we might find answers and clues as to what comes next, they fit exactly the same framework that these guys did so long ago. And that fairness that we wouldn't often associate is absolutely there in all of the remaining documents. These guys, they'd set out on a new mission, established their pirate code, and universally within it was fair pay systems, 
equal opportunity for having your say in decision making. This notion of being values led was core to what the pirates stood for. All right, let's talk about branding. So you told me that you think that the first global brand wasn't Coca-Cola, wasn't uh, Christianity. You think it's pirates. <laughs> I, Tell yeah. us about that. So often we think it's Coca-Cola. It's in lots of textbooks that in the 1880s, they created that signature bottle to avoid the piracy that was taking place off their product. But actually, a long while before it, these pirate organizations who were rebelling against an unjust status quo, who had a very specific business model, needed to drive their bottom line, right? And the pirates are the real outsiders, the real challengers. They didn't have anywhere near the resource of their biggest competitors, so they needed something to even out the playing field. So they created this brand. They desecrated the universal global communication framework of the day, which was flags. They did the things that you aren't allowed to do to it. They made it black and put skulls on it. And actually different pirate captains had dancing skeletons or skeleton skulls drinking cups of blood or whatever it was they wanted to get their personal brand Cold branding. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but ultimately, the black flag with the skull on it meant one thing, which was surrender or die. That was their single message, right? They were really, really good uh, brand storytellers. And what it meant, in one sense, and some pirate economists, and yes, that's a thing, would argue that their pirate's brand actually saved more of their fellow working class sailors than actually were, were victims because they ended up killing far less because their brand was so successful. They couldn't repair their ships. They couldn't resupply. They couldn't get the stocks that everyone else has. So they needed a surrender scenario. They had an internal economic driver. They had a pension scheme. If you were injured, if, if Rob was our pirate captain and I lost the leg, Rob would have to pay me out 800 pieces of eight from the central pot. So they were decentivized, disincentivized to have any kind of violent interaction whatsoever. The only way to do that was to build this monolithic brand. So if somebody saw the black flag raised, they would only look to surrender, which of course drove the pirate's profitable business model. So I think that's pretty amazing. Number one, surrender or die may be one of the most effective taglines ever, <laughs> right? I mean, when you think about that. I mean, it worked, um, worked pretty well for quite a long time. And again, I think what's interesting is I think these sessions are good if you guys can walk away with stuff. And, and Sam is, is a wealth of knowledge, uh, obviously on this topic, but also how to actually run brands. We're gonna to get to that in a second. But what is incredible is, is this image and, you know, I'm from kind of the words and pictures department before I got into the uh, FTE spreadsheet department. I think the fact that it's still with us today, that you still see, whether it's Alexander McQueen or, or other uh, designers, loving this logo. I mean, I, I just don't, yeah, look at that. Look at that. TBW Shayadeh swag right there. It's a very, very handsome tie going on here. There's even some sock branding going indeed, on down here. Indeed. So I, I think that that, that, that is, is one of the key things about having a, kind of a, a clarity of mission yes. you know, on your words and images. I think so. There's, there's something about the rebel that appeals to many of us, but there's a challenge, right? So few of us are able to act on that instinct. And we are really hardwired into following the rules that are around us. But I think we find ourselves in an interesting time in many of our businesses because the pace of change is outpacing our ability to create change. So how do you stay up with it? When permission-based change, we all know how it goes. You know, I've got a great idea. Can you put it in a deck? You know, it comes back with comments. You go around that cycle once or twice and the purity of the vision that you had is somewhat lost down that chain. So there's a chance for, actually stepping outside the rule because we know it. And th that, of course, needs a flag behind it. And there isn't one as enduring as the, as the skull and crossbones for what rebels can mean. And I, and I suspect that somewhere deep down, the story that, you know, these are all 
points of historic fact and evidence, but it's a story that was written out of the rule book. And it was written out of the rule book because how powerful the change the pirates represented was. It was the dawn of the age of rebellion. We were, we staved off in the UK, but rebellion was taking place in Europe. It was coming in the state, when it was then the colonial states of America. And so this hotbed of real revolution, actually showing that rebels can run themselves, was too scary for the world's mm. powers, the establishment. That's why the story was written out. And so I think there's surface level, there's an enduring iconic brand, and deeper than that, it's the promise that outside the rules there is a different and better way to do things. Yeah, and I think people can say, oh, you know, I may not be able to join the Navy, but I think I could be a pirate. For whatever reason, we're attracted to that. What I'm going to share with you now is Sam's piracy framework. So we'll go over this a little bit. I think this, you guys will really like this. Uh, these are the, the, the five R's, letter R, not R, the five R's of, of, of piracy, the framework. You know, sometimes I think, retrospectively, I wrote this whole book just to get that one joke in. Happy to oblige. Here are the five. Rebel, rewrite, retell, reorganize, and redistribute. Yep. And we'll go over these. Rebel, rewrite, retell, reorganize, redistribute. That's yep. basically what they would teach you at Harvard Business School, but you got it in a book. <laughs> so rebel, tell us what's rebel? What, 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 what happens first? So this is the, f the first in the, kind of, in, the, in the sequence of things. And I think it's the really, you know, anybody who just ran up and stole that book, right? Um, for those who it was completely easy, you know, they're born rebels. For those who it was a bit of a stretch and you had to come forward, then there was the, the people who were at the back and then the people who wished they'd done it, right? It's, it's an interesting microcosm for all of us. The truth is, the rules as they stand in 2018 and, and we look out of it, aren't all fit for purpose. And those of us with any you know, uh, degree of seniority or experience in the game, you realize that many rules are established not through strategic forethought, but really through precedence, perspective, and power. Very often when you challenge it, why, why do we do it like that? Well, that's just the way it's done. I've followed that line. That's just the way it's done, said so-and-so. That's, that's, that's how that team have done it. That's how it used to be done. Try and find your way back up to a logical source for that. And actually, you realize so many of the things that we're following are not fit for purpose. And so I advocate this. As much as you might have your vegetable allowance a day or maybe try and get to the gym every day, I advocate a tiny bit of rule breaking every single day. Just one. You find a stupid rule, because the only thing stupider than a stupid rule are the people following the stupid rule. Uh, <laughs> and you break it. And you just break it. So step one in the framework is rebel against something. Find something, whether it's in your, your work life, let's say, that you're like, why are we doing it that way? Rebel yep. against that. A habit, a convention, mm. and, and you push it and you discover that the paper walls around us really are that. And you push through and there's a power. There's a kind of a lifting of the shoulders mm. and, a, and a straightening that actually you do have a sense of power, which is otherwise taken away from us. And there's a sense of reclaiming that. And if you do it on a daily basis, then when the time comes, and I think the time comes more often than we think it does, when the right thing to do is the wrong thing to do, when you're asked to do something, not just silly, but actually something that's strategically wrong, or even worse, something that's morally wrong. And there's been enough stories in the news of that, when following the rules or doing as you're told, and we know history judges us very, very dimly on this, those who just follow orders to do the wrong thing, versus those who were willing to put their necks on the line when the chips went down. At the time, yes, they were the rule breakers, but actually, Look at many of our statues around, you know. Very rarely do we make statues for people who are just following orders. Good. All right, rebel, that's number one. Identify the thing we want to rebel against. Two, rewrite. Talk to us about 
the rewrite process. So that's what this thing, you know, we, there's a lot of pirates throughout history. There's tragic stories of Somali pirates. There's a lot of other areas. The golden age of piracy isn't just about rule breaking, it's about rule rewriting. So when they were in these really unfair structures, they came out and created a level of democracy that hadn't been seen. When they were exploited, they came out and created these fair pay structures. So it's about replacing that which is bust and putting something in its place which is better. Not asking for permission to do so, but establishing a new precedent. I've given some of the pirate examples. So my, my more modern day examples of this are far and wide. You can find them all over. One of my favorites is, is Chance the Rapper, who you will, will know. And if you don't know, you should get to know Chance is well worth a listen. His hat's better than ours. His hat's are way better than yours. <laughs> um, but Chance uh, was the first ever musician in history to win a Grammy without having a recorded output. So he had no record deal, no physical music sales. So he won a Grammy. Right? So all those guys who look up to you know, the next MC or the next rapper, all, those, all that interesting and important social inspiration right, from everything, from social mobility through to what it stands for culturally, have been dreaming and working towards and aiming for a record deal. Suddenly the backbone of that entire business model, which has been fragile for a while, is broken because there's a new rule, there's a new precedent, there's a new way of doing something. Mm. There's an independence to do that. And at the same time, you know, Chance has got his political voice, which he's able to do without the trappings of a record mm. agency. He's able to raise millions for the Chicago uh, Health and Education Center. He's able to back the politicians he wants to. So there's a freedom and an independence that comes with that as well. Mm. And an entirely new set of business models. Mm a clear example of a modern pirate rewrite. So he rebels against the business, he rewrites it on his own terms, and then you come into step three. He tells the story, and not just him telling the story, there's real value that you just told that story, right? Retelling, is, I mean, that to me is one of the magic pieces of the pirate, is that other people would tell Blackbeard's story. Yeah, I mean, I think their master Storytellers, I, I, you know, I think Byron Sharp would emphasize their exact model. You know, the notion uh, that the emotional impact of seeing the pirate brand coming down towards you, there was only one action that you were going to take. Mm. You know, the, the mental availability was, was there clearly in their head. Uh, they created their brand, deliberately designed it to become a meme, right? When I mean, it was, it's an mm. absolute meme and it was designed to go viral around the world. So everybody knew the pirate story. And this is the dawn of mass communications. I, by the way, I think your hat is going to be a meme. Thanks very much. <laughs> Um, and they did so on purpose, did so to absolutely drive this model. And now there is an in, there's a question about the morality of it all, right? We're not getting into that, so I'm not, we don't shirk away from mm. it. It's in chapter one. Of course, there were some dastardly, dastardly deeds. Um, but my, my take on this is that there was a, there's a survey, right? One in 100 people is, has psychopathic tendencies. And amongst CEOs, that raises significantly. Just saying. Um, so my take on this is that... What, what test is this again? <laughs> It's called the psychopath test. It's a very, it's a very rigorous piece of research. Um, but we all know this. Uh, so my view is that pirate captains probably had the same thing. So there was a higher than average amount of psychopaths. So there were some terrible stories. That what they did was take those scary stories and then brand them. Right. Turn that into the brand, which then saved the lives of their fellow sailors. And they exported it. So there's one instance, well, there's this one story, which is seen in multiple instances. When the pirates would take a ship, they would interview the crew. Was the captain that you've been serving under a brute or was he fair? Was he fair? He'd get a reward. He'd be invited to join the pirate community. Was he a brute? He'd be mercilessly tortured and then thrown overseas. <laughs> um, what did this do? This meant that every other crew around town, every other captain knew actually if there was pirates mm. on the horizon, the next thing they were going to do, they would be the ones in the ship. So they were exporting their values through their storytelling to infect other organizations to take on their approach. 
little social pressure there. Absolutely. So the last two are reorganize and redistribute. You've yes. talked a bit about redistribution of power, making things fair. Uh, someone here uh, early on mentioned that the, they were outsourcing. So maybe just give us a little brief piece on how the pirates reorganize things and again, how people in the audience can redeploy their resources. So the pirates' network systems, we, we touched on this earlier on, they absolutely, you know, you're going up against odds. At times, the pirates are outnumbered 45 to 1. So I've spent my entire life in startups. I've had 10 different startups, and it often feels like that. Many of my clients are startups. So how on earth do you stand up to the weight of Amazon? or who, you know, there, There's some very big players who might feel a bit like the Spanish Armada if you're currently a pirate out there. So their approach was only ever to go networked, not to try and aim for scale. There was no way they were going to get to that kind of scope anyway. And I think actually there's something very significant for the times we're in because I think scale is a red herring as an indicator of success. Scale has often led us to many of the challenges that we find. Scale leads to some degrees levels of exploitation within all of our supply chains and business models. So actually beginning with a networked approach, starting every single mm. time with a networked approach, not capping, but having a, a sense of limit to the size of an individual pirate crew before you'd reform the next mode that could sit alongside it, was this incredibly impressive way that they were able to take on such great odds. And the way that they did it was the pirate code that sat above it. And pirate code gets mentioned in, in some of the Hollywood films. It's suggested it's a bit of a guideline. It's not. It's fundamental law. Uh, Non-observance of the pirate code would lead to terrible things. Uh, and the pirate code would stipulate specifically the fairness and the kind of principles we're talking about. What it left you with was values so strong that you can make decisions on them. If there's a crew over there taking on their part of the mission, if there's a crew over there taking on we've distributed value. So broadly speaking, everyone is going in the same direction, but each team has enough independence and autonomy to make their own decisions and avoid conflict between the pirate captains. And this, I think, is a message for all of us. We've all been into organizations who've got their values written on the wall, right? They always say the same things, honesty, bravery, trust. Never trust anyone who has the right honesty in three-foot letters, I think. Um, <laughs> And the, the strength of the pirate code is indicated because they could never really write this shit down. If they did, you know, it would be their own death warrant. But over this period of nearly 40 years, now you find the existing bits of code that were, were spoken to others or in the times that they are written down and recorded, they have consistent principles mm. over a lifetime. So where are our values that are so strong, organizations in our networks can make similar decisions to us? that don't need to be written down, that aren't the rule book, that aren't in some ways excuses to not do the right thing. Hmm. So you've written this book. It's an amazing book. You've kind of an interesting theory. Thanks. Uh, you proved the theory out. You've got some interesting, uh, you know, you've got some examples from the golden age of piracy. You've got some, you know, neat examples from pop culture, business, Chance the Rapper, Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, all kinds of interesting. This book is really, it's a Pandora's box in a virtuous way of very cool stuff. It's a book. Does it work? Have you been anywhere in the world that you said, you know, Rob, I went to here, there, and it worked? Yeah. Um, it's completely, my very real challenge, my very honest challenge, and what I'm kind of seeking some advice for Rob with is, uh, the book has worked way beyond I expected it to, way, way beyond my expectations. I started this and as I was transitioning out of my agency that I've been running for nearly 20 years, and it was kind of my distraction project. I have dyslexia, a chip on my shoulder for not going to university, so it was, you know, I really wrote it for myself. Mm. That's why it's so honest. Uh, and if I knew that it was going to have any of the success it would have, I probably wouldn't have written the same book. So it's everything that I believe, and it's everything that I believe about the world and the change that our organizations are facing and the responsibility, the responsibility that we all have. You know, I really do believe we're in a moment when we have to choose our sides, right? Um, and when we say we, obviously, I mean you. 
<laughs> uh, two weeks in, I got my first email from someone saying, uh, I've read the book, I really enjoyed it, thank you very much. They quoted my book back at me and said, this was the line that made me resign. I'm, <laughs> I'm copying my, my resignation letter just so you can see this is true. I was like, fuck. Right? Uh, obviously, you don't really expect anyone's going to read the thing and let alone buy the thing or enjoy the thing and certainly not act on it. And now we're, what, four and a half months out from launch, and I have a folder that I'm keeping in my email inbox. The, the book was targeted for sales of 10,000 in the UK. It's, it's heading towards double that. And I've got nearly 400 emails of rebellion. So I view my return on rebellion rate is about 2%. <laughs> ROR, return on rebellion. I Which love isn't it. bad, you know, by my standards. <laughs> 2%, so all right. If that was an on-pack promotion, we'd be laughing. Um, so there's something going on, right? There's, and some of them, are, uh, there's many resignations in there, so do watch out if you're <laughs> HR. Um, uh, there's people who've started their own campaigns. There's a young woman whose who's best friend was, was, was incarcerated under some immigration nonsense going on in the UK at the time. They, she used the framework to get mm. her friend released. Um, there's campaigns taking on politics within the public health system, within educators. There's numerous people who are starting social enterprise. I mean, it's really like caught wind and I'm trying to stay up with this. Mm. this is, and this is my big challenge is, you know, I, I, I left the responsibilities and all, everything that came with, with running an international agency to have a bit of a different life for a bit. And now I feel really duty bound to meet this, mm. meet this community. And then at the same time, I've been called into some businesses, some really interesting mm. businesses who are all facing change and disruption to apply the framework there. And you know how this works. You haven't really worked this out. And I got my first call to go to a really interesting business that I look up to and respect, an international... Yeah, can you around. tell us who it is? Yeah. Who is it? Lego called Lego. Um, a brand, obviously, I love <laughs> and respect. And it was the uh, really future-thinking team. You know, they wanted a five-hour workshop. And it was like, great, yeah, of course I can do that. Okay. <laughs> um, tell them how big your pirate crew is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, my, the, uh, the, the crew of one. Yeah, the crew of one. <laughs> but I look back into the book, and there it was. You know, I'd written this thing. I took that, that team through the stages that mm. we've just touched on. And now I've done it with you know, Mercedes, who are facing the biggest disruption of their time. I've done it with Heineken, who are facing the biggest disruption of their time. I've done mm. it with, from Stella McCartney. I mean, a huge array of interesting brands and businesses. And for everyone booking me, I'm then doing, able to do and fund uh, more. Because I'm now at the point with my community, I'm taking a percentage of the book sales and I'm giving it away to these startup rebels. For every booking I get mm. paid to do, I'm giving them away for free to social enterprises, charities, and other organizations seeking it. So this thing is working beyond my wildest dreams, to be honest. Bit of a movement. That's nice. That's <laughs> yeah. good. I'm trying to work out what to do with it, to be completely honest. And now it's out here. Um, the book is going to be out. It's got multiple territory deals, and that certainly wasn't what I was expecting. So I am riding a wave of my own total surprise at this and trying to network and share lessons and, and, and make connections between these people who, like you know, all of us, want to see something better than what we've got and who thankfully don't believe the way things are is the way things have to be. Well, I just want to come back to this, this framework because uh, we don't have a slide for it because we're forcing you not to take pictures with your iPhone on a slide that you don't look at after you take the picture. Um, so again, the, the, the five steps, rebel, rewrite, retell, reorganize, and redistribute. I think that's really good. Um, I just want to read, uh, as we wind down here, I just want to read something you wrote and then have you comment on it? Because I think when I read this, uh, I thought it was very profound. And um, I'll share it with you guys here. This is Sam's words. He says, there's an urgency in the air and a need for change. Today, if we want to improve this picture of our future, we have to do it ourselves. The only way out of this mess is a little less Instagram and a lot more action. So maybe you can comment a little bit on what a little less Instagram looks like and what a little more action looks like. 
I have been booked many times as the inspirational speaker and I've stopped taking that gig. I think inspiration without action is just frustration. And you know, the scale of the shit that we're really, really facing needs a lot more than the response we've currently got. And I'm lucky now in a position to be able to call that out. And I'll call it out to all of you. If the sole focus of your work currently is the next quarter's targets, or even this year's brand objectives, when we know the scale of what is coming down the line to face all of us at our world, you need to widen the aperture of what you're doing. It is on all of us. Certainly this community where so much power and influence lies. My future is now largely seen through the lens of my children. I've got a five-year-old and a one-year-old. Uh, my five-year-old is she couldn't be more disappointed in me. I've read a book about pirates with no pictures in it. Um, <laughs> it's actually a really astute observation, right? Oh, shit, you're right, Scarlett. And uh, anyway, so we, we talked about the power of rule breaking. She went to school and I got a call from the deputy head. Why is Scarlett throwing everything on the floor? Like, she's usually a very good girl. So she got the rule breaking bit wrong. And I took <laughs> her to uh, Parliament Square in London where the, every single square in Parliament Square is of a man. And, and earlier in June, the first statue of a woman was, was put up for Millicent Fawcett, the leader of the suffragette movement. And so I took my daughter to see her and explain the story, you know, and that quote that well-behaved women rarely change the world. And that was when I made this, this observation about the statues. As we looked around, I told her many of the stories, every single person there, in the moment that they lived, put their neck on the line for all of us. Because in the time that they did it, the time they broke their rules, they risked everything, some of them. Some of them were risking their lives or their careers or their livelihood or their families. And that makes me really wonder how many of us, because I think we would all accept that we live in historic times, right? These are historic times. But when the question is on us, when the question is on me, when the question is on my daughter, when the right thing to do is not do what you're told, when the right thing to do is to break the rules to the level that you risk everything, will you do it? Will we do it? And that's Very what good. I mean by action. Last question, and thank you all for your, your rapt attention. I think this has been fantastic. Uh, you may have some pirate converts out there. What's one thing they should do? They should walk out of this room. What's the one thing they should do as pirates? Break a rule today, singularly. Choose one. It'll, it'll come to you now. Now we've had this conversation. You're like, oh, yeah, that one. It could be convention. It could be habit. It could just be something you... And just fucking break it. And feel the... Yeah. <laughs> you know, the push through the paper walls of reality, of the conventions of so much that we follow. And then tomorrow, do it again. <laughs> and then do it again. Try and aim. I think, you know, you, you ladder it up. I think if you're not doing at least one thing that you're liable to get fired for a year then you're, you're clearly far too comfortable in what you're doing. The change is required, requisite, and it's upon you. So begin it. My belief is that rule breaking, professional rule breaking, is the next essential 21st century skill. Akin to where we were with digital skills, you know, maybe 10 years ago, we had to get our head together around that. Professional rule breaking that doesn't quite get you fired, but nearly does, is the skill set we need. This is the only chance that we've got of creating change anywhere near the pace that change is otherwise going to happen to you. Very good. Now you know what to upskill on. Professional <laughs> yes. rule breaking. Sam, thank you so much. Thank you guys. It's been a great session. Be more pirate. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. Very good. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, brought to you by TBWA Shite Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.